Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm your host today, Colleen McCoy-Sika, Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. Today's podcast is sponsored by NCEA Convention 2022 partner and sponsor, FACTS. My guest today is Frank Donaldson, president of Institute for School and Parish Development and one of this year's keynote speakers for NCEA Convention 2022 in New Orleans. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. Thank you. Great to be with you. I'm so glad you took time to be with me today. Can you share a little bit about your background, a little bit about yourself with the listeners before we get started? Yeah, um, we really look at where we are today as having been uh, a product of Catholic schools. I, I was raised here in the New Orleans area, uh, went to LaSalle and Christian Brother product, went to Devil High School, uh, and then on to uh, uh, University of Louisiana, Lafayette for undergraduate, graduate degrees. Uh, I spent 18 years in Catholic schools as a teacher, development director, administrator, um, and, and on, on a side note, you know, back then, I remember at, at Salle High School, my first year of teaching back in 1967, 68, uh, my first year of teaching was, was uh, $4,850. And, and, and I could not believe how, that, that I was going to get paid that much, you know, to do something that I love so much. But then I quickly, I, I quickly realized that, you know, uh, uh, being married and having a child, I, I needed more income. And so I resorted to doing what I've always done most of my life, and that is playing a guitar and being a musician. And so I began to do music gigs at night to supplement my income. Even had a band on Bourbon Street, uh, a Jimmy Buffett kind of band, and uh, and and had a group like an up with people group called Celebration. And so all of that helped supplement this wonderful salary I was making as a first year teacher. Uh, anyway, it, it, it's a wonderful uh, wonderful story, and really weaves into a lot of the things I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Uh, but. Today, uh, fast forward, uh, married to Susie, my wife of, of over uh, 25 years, and, and we live in Slidell, Louisiana, and uh, we're members of Our Lady of Lourdes Parish here and uh, have four children and nine grandchildren, and that kind of gets you up to date of where, where, of where I got started. So uh, uh, all began at, wow. at, at, at De La Salle High School uh, back, back in 1967-68. In Wow, that's a great story, Frank. We're gonna have so much fun talking today. <laughs> yeah, a lot of connections so, too. Yeah, just just yeah. a lot of connections with it all. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I ha I have to tell. Well, first, I've been through Slidell, so I, I've I've been through your town before, and um, I have to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing a podcast interview with a couple of researchers from Renaissance Learning, and um, when they were doing their intros. Um, one of them talked about her her music background. And so, you know, I, I told them, I said, this is so weird because whenever I'm talking to really interesting people, like somehow it comes into the conversation that they are a musician, that they have a music background. And so I said to the other one, there were two of them on there, Dr. Jean Bryant and Dr. Julie Vogel were both on the podcast. And I said, now, you know, do you both have a music background? And of course, yes, you know, classically trained musicians. And I said, you know, it's funny because so am I. And I like, I cannot tell you how many times I meet interesting 
like really successful, intelligent, wonderful people out in the field. And Frank, I'm not kidding. We all have music backgrounds. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I love that. It's, there's something about it that like, it just like wires your brain being involved in music, wires your brain to just be creative and, and be outside of the box. And so I am not surprised at all that, yeah, that you just told it, that story. Yeah, and it's so, it's so true. You know, it's not like that Jimmy Buffett song, if we weren't all crazy, we'd all go <laughs> insane. You know, uh, and, 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 and I think that has a lot to do with, with, with people that, that are musicians. Uh, there's that, you know, there's that part of the brain that just, I don't know, kind of makes us creative. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and in many cases, really good people people. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. So great. Let's have some fun. So I, Frank, I knew that you were an author with expertise in institutional advancement, but I really recently just learned about your background as a teacher and how you ended up in the advancement world. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised by all of your stories and experiences in schools and churches throughout the country. So, you know, for, for the sake of the listeners, I just want to say, you know, I mentioned to Frank, um, you know, uh, as one of our keynote speakers this year, I, I really wanted him to come on and let people get to know him. So today's podcast really is for the benefit of, uh, you know, the people who are going to be enjoying your, your keynote um, on the main stage in New Orleans and really also enjoying, you know, your, your latest book just came out. So as people are consuming the content that, that you're creating and that you're sharing with Catholic educators all over the country, I just really want them to get to know you because you have such a great story and such a fun personality. So are you ready? Let's I'm ready, ready to questions. go. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> All right. So let's start with let's let's start with the story about how you transi- transitioned into institutional advancement from teaching. Um, before institutional advancement was really even a thing in schools, how did you go from the classroom into advancement? Well, that that is an interesting story, uh, mainly because in in working with all this for many you know for many years, I've run across people whose backgrounds. You'd never thought that they would end up in development or advancement, as we call it today. Um, I had gone to Mercy Academy in 1986, uh, and, and this uh, is an all-girls school in uptown New Orleans, right next to Tulane University. And I had gone there uh, to teach English, but, but one of the main reasons I had gone was to work on my PhD in English at Tulane. So in, in the first year, um, everything went well, and... and um, uh, things were going well, and, and in the second year, Sister Mary Ann Hardcastle, who was the principal, Mercy Sister, and just a lovely lady, she she came to me and she said, Frank, look, said we need to start doing development, and, and would you be interested in maybe doing being the development director part-time and still teaching English and journalism? I said, Sister, I, I'll do anything you want me to do. Uh, I said, but uh, I don't, what, do you, what do you mean by development? Uh, and, and so, so uh, she said, mm-hmm. well, uh, there's a workshop down in Orlando uh, that, uh, that, that's being offered. It's a five-day workshop, and it's all about development. It's brand new. Um, so I said, sure, I'll be glad to. I'll be glad to. So I took off, went down to Orlando. The workshop was put on by Catholic School Management and Dick Burke at the time. Richard was, was the main presenter. And, and uh, I sat there for five days, and I said, you know what? I've done this before. And what I meant by that was that that group that I had called Celebration, an up with people type of group, it was a cast of over 100 
uh, uh, young men and women, and we performed over 200 shows at the 90, uh, 1984 World's Fair here in New Orleans. Well, in order to get that ready, I had to do grant writing, I had to do fundraising, we had to do marketing, communications, recruiting cast members. Uh, we, we had to do all that. And as I sat and I listened to what was being called development, I was thinking, this is a hand in glove fit. Because the teaching and, you know, at the same time while I was doing the teaching, I had a, on the weekend, had a, a band on Bourbon Street. It was at the corner of Bourbon and Toulouse Street. And in the band's name was the Desperado Band. And, and the name definitely fit the title of, of the personalities in the band. And so, so we, we played there. And so I fronted the band in terms of being the, the quote unquote lead singer, which is a travesty in, in and of itself. But uh, I had a, had a great time talking to people, you know, what, during the song, in between songs and stuff like that. So I had that experience. I had the teaching experience. I had the writing experience. And, and it was just a natural fit. And so I came back from that workshop in Orlando and I said, sister, you got your man. I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's go. And so uh, I, 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 that's how I got started. And, and so we had some, we had some success um, in, the early, in the early, in the first year or two and with annual fund and alumni involvement. And, and so then we had other schools and dioceses around us that found out we were doing well and they began to reach out and say, hey, can you come help us? And, you know, after about three or four years, I, I had done some part-time consulting and I went to, well, I went to Sister Marianne. I said, do you mind if I do this on part-time? He said, absolutely not. It's great for professional development. And uh, so she was wonderful. She really, really was. And she really was the one that encouraged me, gave me my start. Uh, and then in 1989, I, I went ahead and, and you know, uh, hung out the shingle, and that was the beginning of Institute for School and Parish Development, of which we call ISPD today. Wow. So you learned the craft, and now you help others to be able to apply everything that you learned. So talk a little bit more about your company. You, you own this company that assists other Catholic organizations, not just schools, um, with their advancement efforts. So can you describe your company, what your team does? What, what's your mission, and who do, you, who do you serve? Well, our mission has been the same since, since day one. Uh, the mission of the company is we bring people, process, and ministry together to help build the kingdom of God. Now, that's the mission statement. And so we only work with Catholic institutions, organizations, obviously schools, parishes, archdioceses, dioceses. And, and we really look at our company and say there are three components. There's the consulting component. There is the online coaching component and there's the educational component. Now the educational component is mainly workshops and webinars, seminars and all that. And then about five years ago, we formed a really strong partnership with the Institute for Pastoral Initiatives at the University of Dayton. And so over the past five, year, five years, we have been teaching development, advancement, enrollment management, marketing, communication. We've been teaching courses every semester online for credit through the University of Dayton. And so um, the, the three components of our company, consulting, obviously that's the, that's the bread and butter because that's where we do the on-site work and we do the capital campaigns and the annual funds and the enrollment management and the strategic planning and all that type of stuff. But then we also have an online coaching portal uh, that people can get involved with. And then we have, as I said, the educational uh, piece. 
you know, you know, I, I think, you know, oftentimes I'm asked, you know, well, what, what kind of, how, how do you carve your, your niche in the marketplace, so to speak? You know, we go after and realize that the word development and the word advancement does not mean fundraising. To us, it means how do we develop our Catholic institutions and how do we advance them? And so we, we have two sentences that we think really describe that very well. That development or advancement is the meaningful involvement of people in your mission and vision for the future. And so that's what we believe, that the more we can engage people into our Catholic schools and our parishes, where they feel meaningfully involved, which leads us to our second sentence, belonging leads to believing. When people feel like they belong, they believe. When they believe, they will do all kinds of things, really, to make things happen in terms of moving all this forward. And so with all of that, for the past 32 years, we've crisscrossed the country, uh, and, and we have worked with hundreds and hundreds of schools and parishes and dioceses. And um, about, oh, what was it, 2016, I think, we began to write about it. And so... Um, connected with NCEA and, and primarily uh, connected uh, uh, with, with Wade Marshall uh, and, and with Margaret Kaplow. And we've done now uh, four or five publications, the, the latest one, Adapting to Change, Successful Catholic School Development in a Virtual In-Person Hybrid World, just came out this month in March of 2022. So we really feel that we need to be good stewards of what we've learned and we need to not only uh, uh, do it by way of consulting, but also provide educational resources where people can really prevail, learn to prevail, and not just survive. Because Catholic schools today are really faced with some with some major decisions that they need to make to move it forward. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm enjoying the book, Adapting to Change. I'm doing some research right now on um, change management in organizations. And so with that in my mind, um, you know, reading your book is, is making great sense to me. It's, it's, it's just really enjoyable, very helpful. So let's, uh, let's look at, um, you know, the last couple of years in the world of advancement and development. So, you know, it, it's funny because I took a, I actually left my role as assistant superintendent in 2019. And in the fall of 2019, started in a development role for a company here in Phoenix um, and, and no, development is not just fundraising. Advancement is, is not just fundraising. So mo in fact, most of my role was in communications, events. It was really, you know, working with people and doing a lot of, you know, written and, uh, you know, kind of the people work, the people work that you mentioned earlier. So during um, the last couple of years when we were really not, uh, you know, in touch with people in a face-to-face -face fashion, things had to change a little bit. So I'm really curious about how your company did that. Your partnerships certainly didn't come to a halt during the shutdowns. So how did you adjust and what did you learn from the last couple of years? Any aha moments or surprising victories? Yeah, that's a, gr that's a great question. Um, and, and, you know, I think we had in this area of the country, I actually think we had uh, an advantage. And, and what I mean by that is that indeed 2020 altered our thinking. And, and uh, But we went through Katrina uh, in 2005 and Katrina shut down everything here. Um, and, and, and so 
Uh, we, in fact, today in, in the New Orleans area, we refer to things as pre-Katrina and post-Katrina. Uh, and, and I have no doubt in years to come, maybe we'll refer to this as pre-COVID-19 and post-COVID-19. But we learned a lot. We learned a lot then, you know. Um, and so understanding that, that for, you know, some 30 years, we'd crisscross the country and done, done on-site consulting primarily, uh, you know, we we logging millions of hours and, and stuff on airlines and staying in hotels and Hertz rental cars and all this. And all of a sudden that came to a screeching halt. And and yet we still had a mission we had to fulfill. And so um, we, we began to reach out to the clients we were working with, the schools and, and parishes and dioceses and say, how do we want to work this? And so uh, the majority of them said, we need to keep going with this strategic plan. We need to keep going with this capital campaign. We need to keep, how, how, what are we going to do about enrollment? And so what we did was we went back to that mission, bringing people, process, and ministry together to help build the kingdom of God. And so what we did beginning on March 23rd, I'll never forget it, March 23rd of 2020, with the encouragement of so many people that we'd connected with across the country, we began to offer weekly virtual cohort sessions for anybody that wanted to join, all free. And we did, we did uh, over 30, 35 sessions, all geared to helping people through this pandemic in that, in that arena, in that domain of operational vitality. And so we, we, uh, we averaged two or 300 people every session, every week. And so we presented, like I said, 30 or 40 of those sessions sharing best practices. We brought guest people to come on board and share what they were doing, what their challenges were. We offered special edition newsletters. We conducted nine national surveys on how people were adjusting. We began a series of national roundtable discussions. One was for pastors, one for presidents, one for principals, one for development people. And we had these on a monthly basis. We opened up to an open mic, what we call the ISPD Friday Zoom session, had about 20 or 30 people join us every Friday, and we just shared with each other, you know, and, and through that almost year and a half period of time, we realized that we had to answer a lot of questions, especially as we looked at operational vitality. You know, what do those who work as development directors do? How do we handle enrollment management when we can't have open houses? How do we stay in touch with donors? What, how do we invite people to our annual fund? How do we register students for the new school year? How do we host an open house? Uh, what if we're in the middle of a capital campaign? How do we continue? Uh, and, and so all these were, were questions we threw out. And, and I, I would say more than likely, as, as I looked at it, you know, I would say that, that Colleen, we probably connected with over a thousand people. Um, Mainly, wow, that's mainly, awesome. Yeah, through all of these mediums, you know, through all these mediums, Catholic leaders across the country. And, and we felt this was just fulfilling our mission. And this was not something we sought to make money out of because we never charged for any of this. Uh, we just felt if we were going to stand as a national Catholic development consulting firm and, and realize our role is to be able to consult, coach, and teach, then we had to provide avenues for this to take place, and it, I, quite honestly, I'm, uh, I, I think it was one of you know one of our proudest moments in the history of this company, uh, because we did raise a lot of questions, we got a lot of great answers, and I mean some aha moments were 
I'm thinking of Overbrook School and St. Cecilia Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. They, when the pandemic hit, they were in the middle of, a, um, of strategic planning. And so we had engaged in each of those schools well over to 100, 150 people helping the planning with workshops and everything of this nature. And we had finished the four workshops that we used, but then we were moving toward the convocation where we invite the community to come in and, and help solve these challenges that have been identified in these four workshops. Well, they said, now these are two schools that are run by the, uh, uh, as we affectionately call them, the Nashville Dominicans, uh, Sisters of St. Cecilia. And, and so these were two separate processes, but on the same campus, two separate schools. And so, you know, they were talking, what, what do we, you know, how do we do this convocation? I said, we, we can't, you know, using a double ne negative as an English teacher, we can't not do it. So, so, um, so we did it. And, and in both schools, we had over 100 people attend that evening virtual convocation, divide into small groups, and, and it, was, it was hugely successful. They came out of that, and right now, both of those schools are, are thriving. I mean, they are really clicking. They've, they've moved to all kinds of things. I was talking with Sharon Huber, who's the advancement director, uh, at Overbrook, and she was saying, you would not believe what the engagement of people did for us. And uh, so that's just a perfect example. Another example, right quick, is, is Archbishop Moeller in Archdiocese of Cincinnati and Cecina Memorial High School in Indianapolis. They were in the middle of their capital campaigns. And so uh, we both, you know, with both schools, uh, uh, Marshall Heidzu at, at, at Moeller and, and Joe Thurber at Cecina, they said, what do we do? Do we stop? I said, look, you can't stop. Can't stop. Got to keep going. Got to figure out. Got to figure out a way to make this happen. You know that old musician's coming out of me again. We got to become creative. You know we got we got we got to write some new jingles here. You know and and uh, 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 so so they they surged ahead. Archbishop Moeller went went on ahead. Their goal was eighteen million dollars and and a lot of people involvement and and their campaign ended up going over twenty two twenty three million dollars in the pandemic. You know. Uh, Cecina's goal was six million. They went end up going seven one seven two. But even though the money was good, Colleen, to uh, to me, because of our philosophy and our mission, the most important thing was that it engaged and spread the people base. More people became involved in those efforts than they'd ever seen before, and that to us was what was so exciting. You know, Frank, we all we all rise together, right? So when yeah. we can just reach out and help other people and and pull them along, if people were in the middle of, of a project like that, something huge, and they were just stunned by the shutdown, and, and you kind of experienced that paralysis of, oh my gosh, like, is this going to ruin all of our progress? How do we move forward? And, and for you to step in, and I know that this happened all over the country where, you know, people you know, just kind of reached out to other people and said, no, 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 let's go. We got to keep moving. Let's get together. Let's put our heads together. And a lot of that happened on, on Zoom. And we just empowered one another. Yes. And, you know, that, that sharing of power is magnificent and it really does move things forward. So I love your philosophy um, and, and, and that you were able to do that for people. I love those stories. So great job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so let's... um. Let's see here. Let's talk a little bit about leadership. So I'm sure you have 
um, you showed me the map and I loved the map of all the different places, all the different schools and parishes you've helped all over the country. I mean, your, your reach has been really wide, but, um, talk a little bit about your experience in, um, in schools where the leadership gets involved in, in my, in my personal experience. And, and of course, in, in any research that I've done, any initiative that's really going to move forward and be successful, it has, has the, the leader of the organization right there saying, let's go, we're, we're all doing this together. We're going to make this happen. So can you tell a story about when you've experienced the power of leadership in a church or school effort that really pushed it over the edge and, and made it amazing? Sure, sure. You know, in, in our writings, uh, in, in, the, in the books, we always talk about uh, leadership and, and, and I'm often asked, you know, in workshops, you know, what separates, you know, an outstanding Catholic institution from one that's just good? I mean, it can be good, but what about being outstanding? What, what about being world famous? Okay, what, what does that mean? Well, you know, and I said it always comes down to two words, two words, leadership and attitude. Leadership and attitude. Those schools, parishes, dioceses where we have worked where that have done outstanding work have done so because the leadership was outstanding and the attitudes were always, we, we, we can make this happen. We can do this, you know, and, and, and it, you know, the, the successful campaigns and strategic planning efforts that I mentioned with Overbrook School and St. Cecilia Academy and Archbishop Moeller and Cecina Memorial High School, the leaders there are just outstanding. The one, one little quick story I'll tell is we, we do, uh, as, as a company, we work with a whole diocese or archdiocese in terms of helping them do strategic planning for all their schools. And I was working in the Diocese of Green Bay back years ago, and we were doing the strategic plan for all of their schools. And the bishop is Bishop Ricken. And um, I'll never forget, you know, how impressive this, this, this man was. He wanted to be involved. In fact, every visit that I made, uh, the superintendent, Joe Bound, we would meet with, with Bishop uh, every morning that I got there we would meet and he would want to meet in his residence and talk about what was going on and let us know that whatever we needed to make this strategic planning effort successful, whatever we needed from him, whatever we needed from the diocese, just had to ask and it, it would happen. And he led the charges, he really did. He led the charges and, and really made a huge difference you know, in, in, in that effort. Just very hands-on, very personal, very, you know, uh, uh, person who really, as I always said, you know, he, he was a leader that really got it. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Leaders should never underestimate the, the power of, of their support. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's fantastic. So let's, I, I want to hear one or just one or two more um, stories about, um, about just really exciting, positive stuff. I love your positive stories. So institutional advancement is, is, the part of a, of a, an organization's operational vitality that really brings the wishes and dreams into being. It brings them to life. So can you share maybe a story or two of a time when a school put their wishes, wishes and dreams on display to the whole community, um, just kind of putting themselves out there, not knowing how it was going to get done, and amazing things really happened, things that they never could have imagined. Do you have an example of that? I do. Um... Let me share two because I have a bunch of them here. I could we could go on for a couple hours if we wanted, but the, the two <laughs> the two that jump out uh, years ago in Middletown, Ohio, 
we were doing a, a strategic uh, uh, a, a strategic plan and a, and a feasibility study for Bishop Fenwick High School. And uh, when we work with a feasibility study, we do a lot of input and listening sessions with, with various audiences, obviously faculty, staff, and parents, boards, and councils, alum groups, and community, and, and all. And, and uh, there was a, uh, a, uh, an alumni input listening session that was taking place. And we were talking about, you know, the, this, these things that the school wanted to do on their campus. And uh, in the middle of one of those input listening sessions, uh, the, uh, 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 the gentleman stood up and said, um, you know, all this sounds really good. Uh, I really appreciate the innovation and, and the forward thinking. Uh, but one of the problems you face here in Middletown, Ohio, is that you're landlocked. Uh, you really don't have a lot of room to expand. And so... Um, he looked at the um, at the principal, Father Chuck Mentrop, uh, and and said to Father Chuck, he said, uh, "How how ambitious, innovative, and creative are you?" And and he shouldn't have asked that question to Father Chuck because Father Chuck said, "I'm right there with you. What you got?" He says, "Well, uh, I got about forty or fifty acres of land. I'll give you between uh, 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 Middletown, Ohio, and Dayton, uh, and you can build a new school." And, and, and lo and behold, that's the site of the new Bishop, not, it's not new anymore, the Bishop Fenwick High School uh, in, right there in Middletown, Ohio. All because uh, people were invited, people were engaged, and, they, and, and Father Chuck led the charges and took a chance. Uh, and, and they took a chance to move out of the Middletown, Ohio, out to a beautiful, a beautiful campus. They had challenges, as any type of venture like this would, uh, but, but it really was, uh, was an exciting opportunity. Uh, for them to take. Presently. That is incredible. Yeah. Wow. And, and so one more, if we have time. Um, sure, go ahead. Yeah, uh, presently, um, one of the things we talk about today as we talk about the future of Catholic schools and parishes, and I'm, and, and I'm mainly talking about parochial schools, you know, with parishes, is their ability to collaborate. Because many times the school you know, through the years we've learned, the school will say, why don't the parish give us more money? And the parish will say, why does the school keep draining us? And so, so uh, we, we are firm believers in collaboration. And we have just started a project in Chicago at St. Mary of the Angels Parish and School where the, those leaders, this Father John Ways has decided to take a chance. And, and actually, as uh, Pope John Paul said, move beyond mediocrity, you know, uh, you know, cast out the nets into the deep. And they've started a robust, vibrant, collaborative, strategic planning effort between the parish and the school where they are going to be able to create processes and ways that the parish and the school, which is the largest ministry in the parish, you know, can collaborate, come together and really get, grow stronger and so the two are not on islands like many are across the country where the only thing times you see them together, you know, are, are things like, a, you know, an open house or the Catholic Schools Week or something like that. So, so I'm really excited about Father John's uh, initiative and, and desire to move beyond mediocrity and to develop an actionable plan. And, and we'll be working with them over the next eight or ten months and engaging literally hundreds of people. Uh, that'll, that'll make this happen. And it, it's something brand new. 
and, and it's something that we really encourage schools and parishes to look at. How can we better collaborate, not only in, in that setting, but in many other settings? You know, how, how can we do that? How can we make that happen? Because I think that's one of the key futures. It's the last chapter of the book, by the way, as we talk about the future of Catholic schools and parishes. You know, that collaboration piece can become very strong. So anyway, those are two that I thought, Bishop yeah. Fenwick and... I could give you another eight or 10, but I know we'll probably run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really think that's a great place to, to leave our conversation. And that idea of how much courage it really takes for people to, to move beyond the status quo. We get very comfortable sometimes because we know we have to take chances. We know it's, we don't have all the resources right now in our hands. So how are we going to take this leap and move forward? And that's what you have to do sometimes is take that chance, be innovative, move beyond the status quo, and it takes courage. So to all of those schools out there who are courageous, and, and parishes as well, um, who, who are being courageous and, and moving beyond and thinking differently, um, you know, just keep up the good work. And there are people out there to support you, people like Frank are, are out there to support you too. So. Um, Frank, thank you so much for sharing these stories today and, and taking time with me. This has really been a great conversation. I love your energy and all the positivity and everything that you have to say today. Well, Colleen, thank you, know, thank you for inviting us. Really, it, it always is a pleasure to, to, to talk about the successes that these schools and parishes are having and, and, of course, the challenges that we face today. And we really are looking forward to the NCA convention here in New Orleans uh, coming up and uh, you know, once again, now, if you want some good places to get some redfish couvillant and some, uh, you know, some good seafood gumbo and a little bit of sauce pecan and stuff like that, you got to let me know because we can we can put you onto the right spot. So just want to let you know, we're really looking forward to it. Really are. That sounds great. So listeners, if you are coming in person to convention, Frank will also be doing a, a book signing after his keynote session. So you come and talk to him and he can give you advice on what to do locally. So thank you so much, Frank. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. And thank you to FACTS for their sponsorship and support of this week's NCEA podcast. And we will see you next time.